Future Commerce is brought to you by Chatdesk. Supercharge your customer experience with Chatdesk, the future of customer support. You can transform your business and go beyond one-time purchases with OrderGroove. That's right, OrderGroove is the platform to help you drive subscriptions and recurring revenue, which just translates to customer loyalty and you can get started today. Request a demo and you can get two months off your first contract at ordergroove.com slash futurecommerce. This episode of Future Commerce is brought to you by Yachtpo. Yachtpo has an agile loyalty platform that empowers you to be able to launch a loyalty program quickly. That's right, no dev required. It's time for you to rethink loyalty and it's time for you to think about Yachtpo. Why don't you give them a try? Visit yachtpo.com slash futurecommerce to learn more. Hello, and welcome to Future Commerce, the podcast about next generation commerce. I'm Brian. I'm Philip. Today, uh, we are, we've, we've finally hit our 2021 OKR today, which was to get one of my favorite people on the podcast. We tried. It took us a year, but here we are. Uh, welcome, Magdalena Kala, to the show. Welcome, Mags. Thanks so much. Excited to be here. She's on like a press tour. This is her third podcast this week. Um, and but, third podcast of my lifetime. So, what made you want to like jump on a podcast all, all of a sudden? Because we've tried to get you on for years. Well, so when we initially canceled, it was not because I was scared of it, but because of um, unforeseen challenge, uh, scheduling challenges and other. But I've definitely always been terrified of, of podcasting. Um, I don't particularly like my accent. I hate when it distracts from the message. And so it's one of those things that I've always felt very self-conscious about. And I am not scared of many people. I don't like operating out of fear. I almost never make any decisions out of fear. At least I try not to. And so when I realized that was actually a loop that was going on in my head, avoiding podcast invitations and kind of finding excuses, etc., I decided, you know what, I'm just not just not going to do that, but actually actively try to to do some podcasts to to kind of fight that fear. Wow, uh, do things uh, do things afraid, right? That's that's courage, right? Do it yeah. afraid. Yeah, and I'm an adrenaline junkie, and there are very few things that give me adrenaline rush these days. So surprisingly, this is one of them. <laughs> uh, we we give Magdalena call it an adrenaline rush. That's uh, I, 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 I'm I'm. I, Feel, I don't. I don't know yeah. that we can take credit for it, but sure, why not? Yeah. Let's do it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, it's it's an honor to have you here. Uh, for people who don't know you, I would describe you at least right now is uh, you know someone who is thinking about the future of uh, the startup ecosystem. Well, kind of always. Um, at least that's how I've known you. Uh, I had subscribed to your newsletter a few years ago, and uh, at the time you were talking a lot about direct to consumer and consumer investing. Um, nowadays you're very focused on web three, uh, but maybe you give your own primer cause I don't want to take it away from you. Uh, how would you describe yourself and what you do? Um, so I feel very strongly about my identity as a consumer investor, but how I define consumer is very different than what most investors define as consumer. So for me, it's really, truly how and why people spend their time, money, and attention, right? So when a lot of people hear consumer, it's brands, or maybe it's consumer social marketplaces. To me, it's truly the totality of how we spend our time and money. Uh, and, and, and so from that standpoint, 
one of the most interesting things happening in that kind of layer of consumer behaviors and transactions was DTC revolution mm. and kind of what was happening there. Uh, but quite frankly, it's there's not that much new happening there in the last couple of years. And so I've been kind of thinking through what is the next thing and then how will our behaviors evolve. And I've been on this digital goods train for a while. It, it makes all the sense in the world to me. And so kind of NFTs and, and kind of the Web3 world was very natural evolution towards that. And, and you know, one of the one of the interesting things is watching how you're not alone. There's so many of of the folks that I followed from like DTC Twitter who have also made that leap over. Um, so I, I'm, I'm really excited today to dive in. Uh, we've never done a 101 on any of this, uh, on m- most of anything on uh, future commerce. So uh, I, I really want us to have like a really informed, like deep discussion and, and get as nerdy as we can uh, today. But uh, Brian, we, you know, we, these are all brands we've talked about in the past. I mean, you know, the, the ones that used to come up on retails, your old newsletter, uh, you know, Rothy's and Stitch Fix and, you know, they're, they're names that were familiar. Um, you know, we, we, it's, it's rare to find someone today who has a few years now of having come through the old era and now into the new. I, I'm wondering how that informs your perspective. Like what, what are you seeing right now and how, how, you know, even in the last year, how things have changed so much. Like, how does that, what, what is the current state of affairs for you and what's exciting right now? In, in DTC specifically? Yeah. Um, so I think in general, it's, it's, it's an interesting way where um, that whole cohort of, of startups um, had product innovation, right? But also had this marketing innovation, especially early days of, of Instagram advertising and influ- influencers and whatnot, which is all kind of now a very old standard playbook. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so you have product, you have innovation, marketing innovation, and then kind of ancillary business model and other innovations, right? And right now, I feel like we haven't seen as much of a jump on those three dimensions. So in general, I am still very bullish about consumer brands in general, because the reality is people will always have needs. They will always buy things and services to to fulfill those needs. New brands will be launching. And and, um, so there's always going to be something interesting there. So they had material innovation, they had uh, marketing innovation, and those things are commonplace now. Yes, exactly. Um, I think right now, where we are right now, right, people will have needs, continue to have needs, continue buying things. Brands will continue launching. Uh, and so it's not really not that different. What, 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 what I'm looking for is that product company innovation. Like, well, how are you differentiated? How are you bringing something new to the market that is not just a new color palette on your branding? And then at the same time, it's we're so saturated with all these different products that even when you are differentiated, how do you think about your go-to market? How do you think about your customer acquisition? How do you think about your customer retention? At this point, if you don't have true differentiation in the product mm-hmm. and don't have true differentiation in kind of customer acquisition and customer acquisition arbitrage, um, it's just not that interesting from an investment standpoint. Mm. Yeah, what I what I think I, I I like about what you're saying is that it nice you're you're attracted to what's interesting, what's actually like something the the new, and I think that's what's what makes your content and your thoughts so so fun is you're I think you're like okay like. We saw this explosion of change in the world of consumer goods and the world of brands, and that was really interesting. And it's going to keep having 
moments and there are going to be new things that come out, but it's not like, it's not the same kind of new as it was a few years back. Like the, the, the new is like, okay, now let's look at how all of this is going to like roll out in a, in a, in a new way on, on top of a new web. So you're, you're really bullish on web three. And we started out 2021, you know, talking about top shot and, you know, that, you know, it was about fandom and digital collectibles and, you know, and, and, and it morphed into like art and, you know, status and flex. So, you know, we, we, we see this world of consumer, you're still in the world of consumer. We see this new web that's rolling out. So where does that leave us at this moment with the, the merging of those two? And does it look like Applebee's NFT or does it look <laughs> like something else? <laughs> Yeah, it's it's an interesting question, right? Because like I don't think I'm a consumer brands investor. I don't think I'm a consumer tech investor. I'm a consumer needs investor, right? And so where that mm. kind of connects with Web3 is um, flexing is a need. Status signaling is a need. And and I think actually that the proper like classification there is really collecting versus speculating. Like I think... Art collecting is actually flexing, right? And and speculating in, in many ways, uh, you can speculate on your collection. Like there, those are to to me, it's uh, it's it's you you either keep it or you expect to flip it for profit. And you know, obviously, shades of gray. Um, but where where Web three and NFTs in particular are going are actual utilities, actual um, benefits to the users that go beyond just one of those two things: collecting or speculating. Uh, I love. Uh, I think it was a couple of days ago that, that Andrea actually tweeted about what if company like Eight Sleep dropped tokens for people based on how much sleep you get. So for every night that you actually got eight hours of sleep, you get a token drop, right? And then thinking through like those things and how it incentivizes people to actually achieve the goals that they have, but they need a little extra push, a little bit more like a dopamine hit for doing that rather than because it's good for me. I love thinking through like those applications. I love thinking through how brands can actually use um, some of these technologies for better rewards to their customers and to their community. We keep talking about communities all the time, community kind of build brands, etc. cetera. Uh, but most brands actually get built, you know, the, the classic 80-20 rule, that 20% of your customers, fans, etc., are actually responsible for 80% of everything, of word of mouth, of excitement, of, of, of uh, sales volume. Mm. And so how do you think about rewarding those 20% and giving them share of the upside, especially as an early stage brand? Um, so I'm thinking through a lot of those real utilities from a brand standpoint and from the consumer standpoint. You, you sort of differentiated cons- uh, two types of of people there, which I, I, I found really interesting. Actually, I wrote an article on this sort of those that are like investing and speculating in what you're, what you're putting out and those that are, that are enjoying it for the sake of enjoyment and want to keep it. And like, it's, it's, it's actually brings them personal delight and that's why they're buying in. And I think that's a huge point to make. Um, obviously there's crossover. There's going to be people who buy things because they want to invest in it and they also enjoy it. And, and maybe some of the best investors do that. Like that's what they're, that's their whole shtick. They find things that they really enjoy and they invest in them and maybe they'll flip them and maybe they'll consume them um, or keep them. Uh, but I think, I think that that is a, like, part of the human experience so i think you're you're dead on and Mm -hmm. i and i and i i think i think that 
you know, when you say you're 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 about consumer needs, what you really mean is that you're about human needs, right? Well, to live is to consume, right, Brian? Like, right. We, it's that this sort of well, at least that's our that's our default. Actually, and and to your right. point from from the article that you wrote, sorry to interrupt. Uh, one yeah. of the one of the points you made was that there's this like symbiotic relationship that you you need the speculative investor, you need someone who's looking to uh, to profit into your, yeah m- monetarily, or uh, someone to speculate to uh, profit uh, as in uh, uh, their their social status and like their their outward display of uh, their group affiliation. Like they're going to profit in some way from whatever it is that they consume or buy, right? They're 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 intrinsically linked. I think was the point you made in that piece. Yeah, totally, definitely. They're 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 linked, and also I think that the what we we missed is when we see the wild purchasing behaviors is that uh, collectors actually are the ones that set the set the stage. Without them, we lose we 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 get ungrounded. Like it like we lose track of what's real and what people actually care about and so we have to know what people care about in order to speculate mm. and so yes they are intrinsically linked we were told right mags that uh, art was the thing we should care about and then uh that's that conversation's kind of gone in full circle now i'm, I'm curious what the state of at least nfts are at the moment for you uh, it's it, art is actually an interesting example because i do like to think about traditional art market too right so before we get to the nfts like when a billionaire ex buys a Picasso, like, is it because he loves the art? Is it because it's a status symbol or because it's like a good way to park your money because you expect it to appreciate in value at some, at least to some extent? Like, those are not very clean categories to, to Brian's point, right? Like, we do things for a variety of reasons, variety mix of reasons, and you might not even realize your true rationale for doing something or the mm-hmm. rationale might change over time. And so with NFTs, uh, like, we are so early on that whole um, that whole uh, journey. In many ways, NFTs and DTC brands are actually very similar in that it became very easy to launch one of those, mm. NFT project or a DTC brand. And the early movers made a lot of money, and which invited a lot of other people to try their hand at this relatively low barrier to entry way of making money. And so we got flooded with too many options that are not differentiated. And the consumer interest was just not there anymore, right? Because there are too many things and you don't know what to buy. And by the way, like, why should I be excited about this frog versus that frog? Um, and so uh, and so people are actually now, okay, wait a second. Like, this is, we can't be in this situation. There needs to be more. And so people are thinking through, you know, NFT projects that are um, a little bit more interesting, uh, I think, it's hard to speak to, you know, what, where we are right now, the membership pass or mm-hmm. NFT as a um, ticket to a physical experience or uh, NFT as a record of a changing relationship between me and a brand or me and my resume, right? It, think of NFTs as an ability to record your skills, right? I have performed X number of podcasts and I've written X number of articles and I have completed this course online about X skill. Having that record that is like your digital resume there as an NFT is actually a really interesting way. Or just NFTs are, are collectible certificates that live on the blockchain. Um, so there's so many things you can do. Like it, in many ways, we think of it as just, you know, certificate of ownership of a digital good, but there is so much more that you can do with that. 
There, I think that you you touched on the thing that I we had in our prediction show last week. Uh, I, Brian will correct me. Every week is a prediction show. I get it. Um, but the <laughs> one one of those uh, one of the biggest challenges I sense is there is a lot of fatigue around uh, the number of projects that are launching. It's really hard to keep up. There's fatigue around which groups uh, are. are discord uh uh servers that you have like i have 15 of them and i'm i don't really pay attention to that many like i i'm you could easily be in hundreds of discords if you really tried uh it becomes very noisy um and so i i sense there's some fatigue happening there the utility has to evolve the thing that's really um the thing that stood out to me very recently is that the amount of acceleration in the uh, the tools and infrastructure that are allowing uh, folks to launch projects much quicker. Um, uh, I think Nifty Gateway is a good example, but uh, there's there's a number of uh, like tools that we would have seen as like SaaS infrastructure for e-commerce. Are we're seeing similar uh, tools uh, for for the blockchain? Um, uh, do, didn't prep you for this, but uh, do you think that there is a uh, an opportunity for these the old era of web two web infrastructure SaaS products maybe Zapier is a good example uh, to add to to give themselves like a new lease on life to uh, you know allow more interoperability with these new web three opportunities or is it still too early for them to even consider such a thing? It's an interesting question. My my uh, my gut feel right now is that. Web3 is about technical capabilities and it is about user needs, but it's also about culture and ethos and kind of mentality around what uh, what that actually uh, means and then kind of why decentralization matters. Uh, and so as I think about this, one, tools, very important. Two, I do think that we should be um, trying to launch and grow and then have access to um tools that allow anyone to kind of capitalize on their ideas and 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 innovation. Uh, I don't know whether it's going to come from kind of Web3 native solutions that are integrating with kind of your traditional companies or whether actually these traditional companies, by the virtue of having their customer base, will be able to actually provide it from the trust and relationship perspective, even if technologically or, or um, you know, ethos-wise, there might not be 100% there. I don't know who the winner is. The same way I think a lot about um, if you take a crypto-native founder who decides to play in consumer or you take a consumer founder mm. who decides to play in, in crypto, who is actually better positioned to win? And I don't think I have a good answer. And I think it depends. It depends on the person and kind of why they do what they do. But I think you can achieve success either way if you approach the, you know, the, the, the kind of the right way with the right steps and the right um, reasons for why you're doing what you're doing. Yeah, that's really interesting. I, I think the, the question that I have kind of coming out of this is we look at, we look at NFTs and how they're being used right now. Right. And, you know, if we're you talked about the, you know, consumer trying to come into to NFTs and, and, and the tech, you know, the crypto trying to come into consumer and and like you can be successful from other side if you're resourceful and you can you care and you do it right. <laughs> um, that that's not the, the issue isn't necessarily where you come from. But I do think the question is, where is it headed? So if someone comes from consumer 
and you know and and they're headed into crypto and they're like okay i want to do nfts and i want to do them well i don't want it to be some splashy thing that gets featured in ad age and in in a top five list i want it to be something cough applebee's call cough right right i want it to be something that actually matters for five years like what would that investment look like to you it's it's uh it depends, you know, as the favorite answer for everyone, it depends. I've been working with a number of my very traditional consumer brand investments and, and the founders there are thinking through that. Like, what what does that look like if you go beyond just pure experimentation or pure PR grabbiness of a project, right? Which so many of those have been have been exactly that. Um and, and I always start with, like, what is your objective, right? Like, do you want to truly just push the realm of possible? Do you have some unmet need in the community? Do you have some amazing storytelling that you want to do? And NFTs are actually an interesting way of doing it. Um, and so it, it truly depends on, like, what you're trying to, to do. One of the um, ideas I've had and I'm kind of tempted to still execute on is actually creating a, a, a you know a crypto coffee shop where if you're a holder of the NFT you get a free coffee every single day. If you decide you don't like my coffee shop or you move or you're no longer drinking coffee, you can sell that NFT to someone else. Um, and so like I'm looking for people to start experimenting with interesting things like that. That is not a full revamp of your business, but you're actually starting from what could be an interesting thing to offer to my users or an interesting way that's like so brand centric uh, that benefits kind of the overall ecosystem, my brand equity, my users uh, and consumers, um, kind of affection and and what and offering and whatnot. Um, so so I, I really encourage all the founders to kind of think through that lens first. What are you really trying to accomplish? And then thinking through what technology allows you to accomplish that best. Isn't that the the physical to crypto pipeline? I you know you look at uh, at least the ones that are top of mind for me are actually trying to bring crypto back to the real world pool suites a good example uh is is the you know the, this concept of a pass um and uh you know again belonging membership uh uh people uh, people group I, I think that that's a a good example of uh sort of transcendent you know a company we featured many times that we would have said three years ago was uh media prop media company question mark uh then a physical goods you know direct to consumer brand question mark and now a crypto company i maybe the the way of the future is well brands of the future are all of the above yeah i think i mean you already saw that with the content community commerce kind of amalgamation that was so popular over the last few years and crypto is just kind of yet another c in that in that mix uh, so that I, I wouldn't be surprised if that happens i mean in so many ways you know Initially, it was every company is a tech company, and then it was every company is a fintech company, and at some point, every company will be a crypto company. There's a pull quote. There is a pull quote, yeah. <laughs> the example you brought up at the coffee shop. Talk it, about it, liquidity. My question would be, like, in, in coffee shop, I understand that coffee shop is, is it's a uh, an example, but for coffee shop owners out there that are listening to this the, i think their their question would immediately be okay if i if i hand someone an nft or i sell them an nft and i give them free coffee for a lot like as long as they hold the nft like 
how do I make money? <laughs> um, like that's going to be their question. I think first question, like what if I if I'm just selling an NFT one time and that just and that becomes how I like sell coffee? Um, how 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 is that like remonetizable and how is that profitable? And also, why don't I just like you know do that through a credit card? I mean, Magdalena, you're you're an early stage startup investor. Do you even know how to make money? <laughs> you're asking the it's wrong a, person, Brian. It's a it's a it's a, it's a fair pushback. I come from a private equity background. Okay, we're all, all about right. making money. Okay. Uh, <laughs> no, it's it's it, I mean it's a good question, right? And then initially it's about pricing and how many of those do you have out there? Because it also is partially a, a, a marketing strategy at the end of the day. Um, so it's your initial pricing, and uh, it's part one. Part two is what do you actually expect about user behavior, right? So there have been marketing activations of your traditional companies. I'm forgetting the names. I'm sure Panera or someone like that has done it where, you know, if you come, you get a free coffee every day because of X, you remember, whatever, right? Because there's an expectation that you're going to be buying other goods, right? And and coffee is actually a relatively cheap uh, cost basis uh, to, 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 uh, to provide with the expectation that they are going to actually recoup it because you made someone come to your location. Maybe they don't buy something every day, but if you have a good merchandise, like you might actually sell bunch of other things and make that back. And then third, the beauty of NFTs is if I just sold you a physical card that if you have this card and you come and you get a free coffee, that is a one-time sale I made. If it's an NFT, I can put it into the actual NFT that if you resell it to someone else, because you no longer want it, I will get a percentage of that, right? So ah. I'm, I'm moving to a different neighborhood. I'm selling my coffee NFT to someone else. I, the coffee shop owner retains some portion of that secondary sale. It's one of the things that made everyone excited about NFTs in the first place, that an, as an artist, you can benefit from sales in the secondary market, that as a ticket um issuer, I can benefit from sales in the secondary market by the scalpers, right? And and this coffee example is actually not different. A class pass and movie pass were too early, is what I hear you saying. <laughs> right. uh, well, they both have a number of other issues, but yes. <laughs> Many brands suffer the growing pains of large amounts of customer emails, social comments, and order requests without the customer service team to handle and drive growth. ChatDesk is designed to help companies provide personalized support while increasing their social conversion by over 10% and reducing costs. We set you up with US-based superfans of your brand who provide 24-7 coverage across email, chat, and social media to respond to messages quickly. Launch in days and only pay for the number of tickets you need help with. Join hundreds of leading e-commerce brands like Olaplex, Thinks, and Fable Pets who use ChatDesk to increase their Facebook and TikTok ad conversion by up to 15%. ChatDesk connects to your existing help desk, giving you more time to accomplish other priorities. And because you're a future commerce listener, get 20% off your first three months. Check it out at chatdesk.com slash futurecommerce. Future Commerce is brought to you by OrderGroove. OrderGroove is the platform that helps you convert those one-time purchases into long-lasting relationships through subscriptions. Your customers are going to enjoy the products that you sell without the friction of reordering when you put it on autopilot with OrderGroove. 
Order Groove has enrollment boosting incentives and retention rewards, and it can fight churn with artificial intelligence. It gives all of that to you, the merchant, to empower you to be successful with your subscription story. Order Groove can even natively integrate with all of the major e-commerce platforms, all of them, meaning that you can experience seamless shopping for your customers and make it really easy for your employees to manage. Find out why leading brands like Pete's Coffee and Il Maquillage all rely on Order Groove and receive two months off your first contract when you get a demo today. Go find out what Order Groove can do for you at ordergroove.com slash futurecommerce. I'm so excited to tell you about one of our newest partners here at Future Commerce, Yachtpo. What if you could give your customers loyalty points for writing a review? Or maybe send a birthday offer to your VIPs via SMS? Well, you can do all of that and a lot more with Yachtpo. Yachtpo is an e-commerce marketing platform that integrates loyalty, SMS marketing, reviews, and more. Yachtpo Loyalty has drag and drop modules so that you can build and launch your program with no code, design, or even development. So it's time for you to get more from your e-commerce marketing platform. It's time to get Yachtpo. Visit yachtpo.com slash futurecommerce to learn more. That's Y-O-T-P-O dot com slash futurecommerce. What I'm surmising is that NFTs are a loyalty. They're a loyalty play. Like they're a, they're a way actually to to assign value to what it means to be associated with the brand, which actually leads me to. Uh, so so I believe in this because I believe that commerce and transactions are actually identity transfer. So if you are providing value to someone through through their their the the sum of their purchases and you're providing you're providing something back to them say oh yeah you are very very much part of this part of our coffee shop part of our movie theater whatever it is um then they should be able to say this this is it's an asset like i this is building up this identity is as a part of this it means something it actually it has more value than just oh a transactional like back and forth exchange of money and that i think is an exciting idea i i'm gonna i'm gonna interject something here because i'm the king of bad analogies um as we know for years now but this this to me doesn't feel like you know, a revolution at all because this exists in the real world and and everywhere that you choose to look for it. I, you know, I, I used to work at a restaurant and I waited tables and we had a specific button that if you were a law enforcement officer, you got a discount, right? This, this like affiliation and a uh, tangential benefit to an affiliation to a group is a thing that already exists. Um, the Panera example is another good example. I'm a American Express Platinum card holder. I get free Panera Plus, so I can have a cup of coffee every day for free. I don't always exercise it, but it's a benefit that I have that was extended to me. Why? Because I'm a token holder. I mean, a card holder, right? So the, it, these are an evolution of really not not the not the means. Maybe mags validate whether I'm right or wrong, uh, but maybe the access of who it is who actually gets to opt into the the benefits of 
that community. You're saying that NFTs are the digital equivalent of flashing your badge, like literally. That's kind of, I mean, that is, that. Well, at least right now in this moment, that can be a thing that it is. It's many things. Well, that transferability and democratization of access is an important part of that, right? You are not gating someone. Like, I don't, I cannot legally take that badge and now pretend to be a police officer, but I can buy someone else's NFT and mm. that's totally solid. Or it's actually an interesting question around uh, membership clubs, right? Because there is so much exclusivity around golf clubs, for example, versus mm. what Links Dow has done, which is anyone who is a holder of NFT will be then able to buy a membership, right? Like we are not, we don't care how rich you are, where you come from, who knows you. If you're a holder, you can buy access. It's it's still exclusive in that there's a limited number of those passes, but it's not gated by these very traditional old school uh, factors. And then when I hear the like, you know, all of this exists in some way, it's no different than postal service exists. Why do we need email, right? It's, <laughs> it, it delivers the same need, but it does it differently does it better, right? Uh, I think we still don't have enough of the faster, cheaper, better dimension of NFTs or Web3 in general, but like that's coming and, and kind of thinking through like, oh, we don't need it because it does the same thing, but slightly different, I think is, is kind of the missing the the potential here. Well, skewmorphism, we, we always rebuild the real world in a new medium when we first come to understand it, and then it'll take its own form over time. I, I'm mostly blown away at how fast that has happened. Um, I, I, I mean, within the last year, this, uh, the evolution here has been uh, really breakneck. Every month something changes. Um, I also believe that it's also, it's kind of its own monoculture to some degree. Crypto has like, everyone is all aware of the big things that happen, uh, which I think also signals to how early it is, is that it's, it's actually quite a small community. Um, and things like LinksDAO, um, you know, a $10 million fund uh, in any other world is a nothing burger, uh, a $10 million raise uh, in, in, you know, in that, in that particular space as a DAO is notable uh, and, and maybe signals something different. Right. So I think that that's a, uh, anyway, I, I, I find it fascinating. Uh, we, I wouldn't want you to, to come on future commerce for, for the first time without giving you an opportunity to have some hot takes <laughs> because you, I, I feel like you are, uh, you, you have some especially spicy takes on things. Uh, you, you broke the Dow seal. This is your fault. But uh, what, what's your take on DAOs and sort of the, the crypto urge to solve everything with a DAO at this exact moment? Uh, I mean, it, it's cute, but also that's the only way we're going to find real innovation, right? Like trying to think through what, what actually matters, what it enables. To me, DAOs are actually just a coordination technology for groups of people to do something together. It doesn't have to be a purchase like the Constitution DAO. It can be like a research DAO and we're coming together to coordinate on doing something and how we reward and how we benefit, right? And then so from that standpoint, it's better than uh, like group buying experience because so many purchases are not just one and done, mm -hmm. right? Like if you come together and create a DAO to buy a sports team. There are so many decisions that need to happen afterwards, right? And like who holds what and how decisions are made and how profits are distributed. Like there are so many decisions to be made. The purchase is just the start. And having DAO to actually be able to solve that is an interesting idea. It's not an idea about its challenges. It's an idea with a very shaky kind of legal understanding yeah. right now. Um, although states like Wyoming are... Yeah 
granting to, you know, the same rights to, to DAOs as, as regular LLCs right now. Um, and so I think that will just evolve. But again, to me, it's less a, a brand new legal framework and much more a new technology to coordinate group behavior um, that, you know, will we're kind of in the learning phase of challenges, uh, legal front uh, or otherwise. I, I, I always say that in many ways, United States of America is a DAO. Right. The rules are set by the Constitution. The U.S. dollar is a token like it really was issued out of thin air and given to people mm-hmm. that we can debate on the out of the thin air. But right, like it's certainly now uh, being issued out of oh, thin yeah, air. Definitely now. Right. Um, and given to people through a certain set of like distribution rules um, and then traded by people for goods and services. And, 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 and now we even have the delegate structure, right, where you vote. Um, uh, not directly, but through your mm-hmm. representatives, which any large dial will have to do as well. Uh, it's just it's people sure. on the internet coming together to do something and not just a bunch of founding fathers coming in Philadelphia to do something. But it's really not that different mentally. It's just now enabling that coordination on the internet for something that's a little bit more than just one and done. I, for one, so- am, am really looking forward to every corporation in the future being as efficient as the U.S. government. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Challenges and opportunities. <laughs> yes, yes. Sorry, oh, Brian. Oh, man. No, I was just going to say, so it sounds to me like the benefit of the DAO is the speed of organization. Like the, the benefit of a DAO <laughs> is that is like it's, it's you're coming to the market fast um, and you can, you can organize people to accomplish something that they all want to do very quickly. That sounds like what the main benefit. Or not. Well, I think the three actual benefits of a DAO are, one, this democratized access and democratized impact, right? Like no one's telling you you can't do this or you can't do this. Community votes. It's not one person at the top of the organization. It's like we're going to do this versus we're going to do that. So that is a huge benefit. Two is alignment of incentives, right? Especially for DAOs that have um, kind of the token associated with that and how you reward people and how you give ownership and, and, and impact and all of that. Um, and then the last is this kind of the automatic rules, which actually a lot of DAOs right now don't have this autonomous part within uh, within them uh, quite yet. But if you think about ability to have these rules that you cannot change, no one can change, they're just part of the organization as opposed to, you know, so many companies are operating on the whim of the latest executive, um, right? Like there are so- actual benefits. It's probably not a, a solution for every single thing but mm. but we will not grow it and expand it and innovate on it if we don't keep trying and kind of seeing these challenges as we did with the constitution DAO, where it became very apparent you know just uh, the legal dimension the distribution dimension um and then when it, the, the the kind of the transaction didn't happen kind of the return of capital um dimension right like there's so many challenges there uh but there are challenges with any new technology there's uh also the what you know, the running joke is, uh, you know, the difference between an LLC and a DAO is that an LLC is legal. Um, <laughs> and and what I think is a, uh, at least in the example of the Constitution DAO, I know you said you checked out the podcast where Brian and I were uh, uh, sort of discussing it. Um, we haven't really done a follow up there, but you know, I I'm 
I, I feel like the the real challenge there was the thing they were trying to purchase and the channel in which they were trying to purchase it. Um, and, uh, you know, they're sort of the sacrificial lamb for everyone that will come after them and to sort of understand what the the, the boundaries are. Um, so I'm, I'm very bullish on solving specific problems uh, with DAOs. I think what I'm, what I observe here that I know from my open source, you know, my 15 years in open source uh, background is that there are some terrible inefficiencies to having, uh, uh, to having a group dynamic to making decisions for a long lasting uh, and durable projects. Uh, because the, the fact is that uh, groups don't always arrive at consensus groups tend to uh, drift towards uh, stagnation. Um, whereas some of the most durable open source projects are ones that are sort of headed by uh, a, you know, uh, BDFL, bene- benevolent, benevolent dictator for life. It's somebody who uh, has a vision and can cast the vision and organize and rally the, uh, you know, the, the voters around that. Um, I'm, I'm curious if we re-implement the rest of the real world and in, in sort of in a skeuomorphic way into all new technology as, as we tend to do, uh, at least for the past 50 years. I wonder if that's not something that just uh, emerges as well as, you know, a human dynamic is to sort of follow the leader. Well, I wouldn't be surprised, but it's a funny example of that is group projects in school, right? Like everyone (laughs) hates group projects because inevitably someone's not pulling their weight and inevitably someone ends up doing 80% of the work. What happens in the DAO context that if everyone recognizes that one person is doing the work, at least they can reap most of the benefits, right? And if you want more of the benefits and you're not pulling your weight, well, start pulling your weight, right? And so like it actually is an interesting way of incentivizing behavior. And I think in reality for a long term, you will have a merge both delegated voting, right? Like not the entire community has to be involved in every single thing and then have emerged kind of a community chosen leaders who kind of proven their value and want to be involved and they're going to reap, uh, reap disproportionate amount of, of benefits. And if the moment they stop contributing or decide to move on, like kind of they lose that, right? But it is very flexible setup. I don't think DAOs mean everyone's making every decision or every decision is up for, for a community um, and or everyone is kind of equally involved. It just means that you can have these ways of incentivizing behavior and then rewarding community contributors. Also, Philip, I, I think there's something interesting here. You you talked about the like durable open source projects, right? And the the mass effect of a community that's sort of like it's it's brandished by a leader that that you know that they all sort of follow. But what if the opposite is true with the world that we're entering now of Web3, where um, it, we, we talk about the nature of power sometimes on on future commerce, mm-hmm. and we've written about it. And if you think about it, in some ways, that leader is here already for Web3. His name is Elon Musk. It just, <laughs> the way that he goes about accomplishing, like, like the way that he goes about accomplishing his will isn't through sort of command central it's through inspiration and and incitation and like 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 inciting people to um accomplish things uh they follow they his followers follow him sort of blindly as they accomplish a multitude of projects that are not led by him and that if that's not the sort of definition of like decentralized uh you know power i i like it's it's centralized by by personality and by thought 
there's actually a really great uh, parallel here, in, at least in the Web3 or the Twitter sphere. Uh, Bored Elon Musk is a, an account that's, uh, you know, pseudonymous. And I'm I, one of the, you know, supposed tenets of the decentralized future is that, you know, uh, pseudonymity is a, uh, a powerful force and something that isn't given, doesn't have a real world parallel. A uh, hot take on the pseudonymous future. Any, anything from you on how you see that uh, panning out? I'm, I'm a big believer in pseudonymous uh, future. I think there's a lot of challenges right now. If you try to hire someone who is pseudonymous, if you try to get hired as a pseudonymous person, if you try to invest in a pseudonymous founder, like there's so many challenges actually come through that if you truly want to retain the pseudonymity. Um, I think it's such an interesting way of fixing some of the problems that we have in the digital world today, um, starting with the cancel culture. And I like I think, you know, we can debate is it a good thing, is it a bad thing, but I don't believe that someone uh, should be for the rest of their life have an issue attached to them that got that uh, canceled them, right? And so especially if it was something that was not actually a, a real or factually true, sometimes people get canceled for things that are not real. And, and don't get me wrong, people should be held accountable. But I think there is something to this mob mentality on the internet and you have only like you have your name and like that's it. And so ability to perform online in a pseudonymous way if you choose to is interesting, right? A lot of people don't actually want to be famous, but they are kind of famous by their own um kind of activity. Like they didn't choose it, it's just a side product of what they do. Like imagine being famous as a pseudonymous person, so you can still go out on the street and go to a bar and not be flogged by like bajillions people right um or uh, for me the most interesting aspect of that is i am not synonymous at all right my uh twitter handle is at magdalena kala my name is max.eve but i have a bored ape as a profile picture and the number of people who think i'm a guy is astounding wow like i get messages dms comments all the time of like hey bro or like dude i have a question right and like i love that i actually like i don't mind that at all because it's so much easier to be a guy on the internet hmm. and so i don't mind that people think i'm a dude uh and then you know i will show up at an event and they're like wait what <laughs> um and, and so like there are benefits and then i think we're just again exploring what does that look like um i also love the fact that you could have three different careers in three different sectors and that's essentially three different personalities and no one needs to know but you know hmm. one doesn't need to know about the other two um and so i think there is a lot of potential there uh, that's that's interesting I mean, we only know the real you, Mags. I mean, yeah. there, we might, we actually, actually, that's not true. We might know other yous as well, potentially already. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm sure there's a spicy account or two I follow that, you know, that you're behind that I wouldn't even know. Uh, burner accounts, yeah. burner accounts. We, uh, other hot takes, you know, there's, uh, and this will definitely fix us firmly at one specific point in time, as if all this hasn't already, uh, you know, right now, uh, some things that some smart people are saying is, hey, we're, we're potentially coming up on a liquidity squeeze uh, here in 2022. What does that do to the startup market and particularly crypto markets, uh, which look like they depend on a ton of liquidity to, you know, to uh, uh, to continue to appreciate what what happens to the speculative investor who, you know, maybe exits a bunch of crypto projects in 2022? Yeah, it's uh, the liquidity squeeze is an interesting question because I 
it requires a catalyst and there's a number of potential catalysts we could discuss, right? But the reality is it doesn't just come out of thin air, you need the catalyst. And there are so many counter forces that, that might actually result in that not happening is one. And then two, well, you know, markets generally suffer, not all markets suffer equally. Uh, and then so it's also thinking through like that d- dimension of what actually gets impacted. Like at the end of the day, like, do I think we're in a bubble? Yes and no. Uh, and then kind of, again, maybe we're in a stock bubble, maybe we're in a private startup bubble, maybe we're in a crypto bubble, like maybe all of the above, right? Miami real estate feels like we're in a bubble because I way overpaid for my apartment. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, like it's, it's like, is it or is it just a continued progression and we're going to keep going like this for six months, 12 months? year like i don't uh, like two years i don't know because um like you need that catalyst and then the one thing that i always uh am very careful about is when there is an emerging consensus that we might be uh, you know ha- facing some issues that's not when the issues come up the the issues almost always come up pretty uh unexpectedly and 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 actually government has like a pretty big role in that as well right like so much of uh, what could happen here is based on what the administration decides to do right. around legal treatment of some of these assets, right? Around um, the tax laws, both for, for crypto and non-crypto, um, the tax increases in general and the capital gains. Like there's so many mm-hmm. different things that, that could spark something. And it's still, you know, right now, like who knows what the probability of that actually happening is. I certainly don't. Do you think this changes how the tech industry interacts with the legal, like the legal world and the and political environment? So, like, are we going to start seeing like DAOs take over? Uh, or, <laughs> I shouldn't even say arms. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, it, you know, is that is that the future of how lobbying happens? <laughs> it it is a funny question. I mean, you already have so much of a tech impact on uh, DC, oh, yeah. right? So many lobbyists and and for general tech and for crypto as well. Um, I think the biggest impact we're going to see is actually just crypto donations. Like that is going to be a huge issue Mm. for for the elections, right? Like the election laws, donation laws, which which, uh, candidates appeal to to kind of the crypto community. How much do you actually want to appeal to the crypto community, right? There's so many of these things that are going to be very impactful. And then in many ways, right, the biggest issue that government has with tech is how much power it has. Well, decentralization can actually help with a lot of that. Um, It doesn't solve all the issues, right? The the, the joke on Twitter, like Web3 solves it because it solves everything. Like, no, that's not true. Uh, But there are some aspects of it that actually are aligned with government's goals and 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 having this kind of blanket you know it's all bad out there um mentality is not good for anyone uh, i i i someone should do it i don't want i don't want to do it but someone should do it we need to figure out like uh the the sort of research pipeline of the like very uh, the very notable uh, uh, Twitter accounts, you know, in in Web three at the moment, you know, those who have massed massive followings, I, I have to believe like there is a Bernie bro to uh, to crypto bro pipeline uh, over the past ten <laughs> years that you know is 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 very real. And it wouldn't be hard to figure out who they are. Um, I mean, that's why the Bitcoin Maxis are really taken to New Hampshire, right? Right. Like, live free or die. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, I, You know, we're kind of coming up on time. Brian, go. 
I feel like the the Ron Paul pipeline and the Bernie yeah, Sanders pipeline stronger. both they both fed that. The You're, we're showing pipeline. our age now. Oh wait, wait, Go. Philip. Yes, I thought we were going to debate live streaming live with Mags. I kind of. I mean, wanna, do you want to do you want to get into this? I love this. I'm, I, I'm happy to chat about okay. live streaming. Yeah, you know, it feels like there's a uh, there's a desperation in e-commerce, especially. Uh, to try to uncover new channels for arbitrage. That's really the thing that I think is powering a lot of the the group think around live streaming. Uh, there's there's a need for new channel arbitrage. Uh, it could be that digital goods is that channel is is that channel and uh, but there's for whatever reason uh, uh, you know the 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 DTC cohort of the last four or five years hasn't really caught on to it yet. Uh, what's what's your thinking around why live streaming is is uh, you know the thing that most folks are looking at as you know the next channel uh, for development in e-commerce? Live streaming is another example of a technology that actually is not that new, right? That TV shopping experience that um, you know so many people buy stuff with has, is not new at all. And actually, when you look at some of the data around it, people have very strong emotional attachment to it. Right? Like there is a a level of trust that people get from that kind of TV shopping relationship that you wouldn't expect and that you don't get from just walking into a store um, and and then interacting with a salesperson. And so live streaming is actually, you know, takes root in this mechanism and in consumer behavior that's existed for decades. Um, it's obviously you describe all of the the example, uh, all the reasons why people are excited about it because it is a potential new customer acquisition channel and whatnot. Um, there's a number of companies doing things in the U.S. and on this front, some more successful than others. Everyone is still relatively early, um, and I think it's it's one of those things where. Live streaming is great from a brand perspective if there is already an existing audience. So you just like come in, plop in, and you have all these eyeballs that are now going to hear about your product. Well, guess what? As a live streaming company, you have to find that audience in the first place. Mm -hmm. So now we just shifted the customer acquisition from like the brand to the live streaming company, right? And yes, it's an aggregated audience and there are probably efficiencies, et cetera, et cetera. Like there's a lot of rational why that's still more efficient, but doesn't change the fact that it is competition for attention yet again. Uh, so I think it's, it, you know, in the US, I always felt that if someone had a chance for a good live streaming product, it was going to be Instagram because we already buy so sure. many products from Instagram ads and influencers and whatnot. So you already have the eyeballs, you already have influencers who could be those those people kind of uh, performing the um, the stream and and um, you're is essentially just new product feature. Um, we can you know talk about the number of issues, reasons why that hasn't caught on so far. Um, in many ways, not exactly live in the live streaming, but like TikTok is that the amount of volume of commerce that goes through yeah. that, especially like from Amazon, actually, right? It is this amazing pairing when people talk about the Amazon leggings, and then you go on Amazon and buy them, and because that's what everyone's talking about, and you can kind of track the videos that go viral and how quickly that skew, Amazon or otherwise, it's immediately sold out, right? So it's not exactly live, but with the pace of um, distribution and kind of the how quickly things come and go, it is almost lifelike. And there's an existing audience that you have and, and existing creators where there's a relationship and trust between the audience and the creators. There's a distribution magic. And then 
the comments just happening, you know, mostly off platform is like almost like meaningless. Like, does it really matter? And then how much will that actually get incorporated? Because it is an interesting um, direction for, for, for that platform, right? But I see it more emerging out of already existing behaviors mm-hmm. rather than trying to build it from scratch because live streaming should be a thing. Well, that's the my chief criticism there has been that the uh, let's look at TikTok for just one second. You know, there's an ephemerality to that platform where you may not even actually know the creator that you follow by name. Uh, you may not even remember, like you, there's almost no mechanism for you to go find a video that you saw at some point in the past. It's gone. Um, but the, the inspiration for a purchase decision is something that does remain. Um, and so I, we, you know, we did some research in October, I believe, of 2020, Brian, uh, something we called the new DIY, which was DIY trends as inspired by social media um, and, uh, you know, d- d- big, big bumps in uh, uh, musical instrument purchases or uh, uh, DIY crafting, um, even DIY cocktails, you know, the, the uh, Stanley Tucci, you know, Negroni movement. Uh, that was a that was a point in time. These are all things that are not just inspired by TikTok, but you know various uh, places for inspiration. Um, the what tends to be said specifically is that there is a, a concept of a uh, of shopping as entertainment, where the modality of the of the entertainment the 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 sole purpose behind the entertainment is to sell you. And my my hot take there has been, isn't that the whole purpose of all entertainment always period that is so then like everything is live shopping always because we're always being inspired to purchase something um that is that at least in in the west that's how entertainment works you saw that actually with so many fashion trends coming out of emily in paris yeah. where you saw kind of spikes on c- certain skews and certain styles, you know, not, maybe not exactly from the show, but inspired by the show on platforms like Depop and, and whatnot, right? And it is an a, a excellent example of that dynamic, right? Like we get inspired, we get influenced by things we see in the media because you might not be selling the product, but you're selling a lifestyle, you're selling a vision board, right? Um, and, 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 People are buying that, and whether they execute the transaction on that platform or or elsewhere is almost secondary. Mm. I, I don't ever want to purchase something from my Apple TV while I'm watching. I I already have my phone in my hand already. I'm such a boomer, uh, uh, <laughs> Brian. You're yeah. Uh, I'll give you the the last go around here. Uh, no, I I totally agree with everything you're saying. I I think that that there is an audience out there that wants to watch shopping as like as like their the main thrust behind what they're like wh- why they're watching it or like the product description and so on. And they already do it. Like they already do it. Um, yeah. Someone's already captured all of them. Every one of them. Yeah, and 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 maybe there is an update on this. Maybe there is. Maybe there's some iterative improvement that can be made upon this, but it already exists. Otherwise, I think, and uh, I wrote an article on this back in 2020 about how product placement as a concept, like I think that's kind of what you're talking about. Inspiration. It's it's not product placement. It's product influence, and so. Um, Hiring storytellers and creators and people that understand narrative and they understand like real story and understand where 
your product actually fits in the world and how it actually what why it has relevance for a movement and what that like what where where that product fits into a broader story is like hiring those people is going to be essential for doing what the two of you were just talking about and i think that is better than live streaming that's that's reaching uh, a a different sort a broader a broader audience that wants to be involved in real things the real stories real in, you know interesting engagements real art um and there that's where i'll leave that <laughs> yeah that's uh that's great mag's last word live streaming is just a part of content and we already talked about how important content has been and how important content will continue to be in the future and in many ways consumer brands and consumer founders are furthest along on that journey but storytelling doesn't matter just for consumer i was l- recently talking with a biotech investor who was thinking through storytelling around his portfolio because there is so much kind of mystique and and you know especially with the pandemic like people being scared or not understanding you know, technologies, potential impacts. And so storytelling is in, important in every single category. And, and I think that's going to be probably, if I had to pick one um, ad hoc prediction, the people with the storytelling skill set across mediums and being able to combine kind of strategy and storytelling is going to be one of the hottest jobs. But that's uh, full circle for Brian because with, it was our very first episode. Uh, he, his uh, his take was the you know the future uh, of of commerce writ large and, and the way we buy things will be you know governed by people who are humorists and writers and storytellers and they're creative in being in in communicating in like not, well, I would say like the traditional like arts uh, and communication mediums um, couldn't agree anymore with you. Wow. Thank you for spending an entire mm-hmm. hour. Uh, Mags, where can people find you so they can get more of your hot takes on the internet? Um, definitely Twitter for now at Magdalena Kala. And uh, I will be launching something soon, more Ooh. around the longer longer form uh, content. So, so follow Ooh. me to find out more. Oh, wow. I, I was a big fan of your uh, Clubhouse uh, uh, series, Rest in Peace. Uh, can't wait for longer form content from Megs. That'd be awesome. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, thank you for spending time with us. Hey, thank you for checking out Future Commerce. Uh, we want you to subscribe because you know we need we need more of your eyeballs and ears uh, so that we can sell more advertising. That's how this works. Just kidding, <laughs> but it's true. Uh, and you can find all of that at futurecommerce.fm. We're in your inbox now three times a week. Insiders on Monday and the Senses on Wednesday and Friday. And uh, hey, uh, check out our sister podcast uh, hosted by Ingrid Millman Cordy. It's called Infinite Shelf. Uh, and it's about how, you know, how the world around us uh, is really bringing people to the table and convening over over the shelf in the way we buy things. Uh, really excited for the wrap of season one there. And season two will be coming shortly. Uh, go subscribe everywhere podcasts are found. 